Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we're into extra time. Kia ora koutou and welcome into our last edition of Extra Time for 2019. I'm Clay Wilson and joining me to look back on a busy past 12 months are my RNZ sport colleagues Barry Guy, Bridget Tunnicliffe and Joe Porter and two contributors to our sports content here, Hamish Bidwell and Alice Soper. 2019 has of course been the year of the Cups, with New Zealand featuring prominently at Rugby, Netball and Cricket World Cups among others. And it's fair to say at the start of the year, not too many were predicting the netballers would be the most successful of those three teams. But the Silver Ferns flipped the form book on its head, upsetting old rivals Australia by one goal in the final in Liverpool. Well, it was certainly a result which completed a stunning turnaround for that New Zealand side. Bridget, what are your main reflections on that World Cup triumph? Um, I think just a dramatic turnaround. Um, yeah, I mean, of all the World, the Nepal World Cups that, that there have been since, what, the 1960s, um, I don't think the Silver Ferns have ever gone into a Nepal World Cup where there's been probably more pessimism around the result. And Nolene Tauru, she only took on the team 11 months out, so... Um, yeah, I remember thinking that if only we had, if only the World Cup could be six months later or a year later, I just didn't think 11 months would be enough time. So the dramatic turnaround was pretty incredible. And even in January this year when we went to England and played in that quad series, uh, we lost to England, we lost to Australia, and we, it took us overtime to beat uh, South Africa. So, yeah, it wasn't an easy start for um, Tauroa, but um, obviously um, she the timing the timing and peaking the team was absolutely spot on and perfect. We had that one goal loss to uh, Australia in the pool play, which was a really good sign for us. Then that awesome um, three goal win, I think it was, over England in the semi final, and then the final was just amazing. I remember talking to you during the tournament, and just after, and you said, I said to you. When did you start to think that, oh, you know, they they could do it here? And then also, Nolan Totoro has got to be a shoe-in for Coach of the Year. I know players yeah. win on the court or on the field and yeah. coaches lose the game and that sort of thing. But, yeah. I mean... I mean, how invaluable was she? Oh, yeah. Um, she's, she's got to win that Halberg for the Coach of the Year. It was just incredible. Um, yeah, I think um, I remember the um, series leading up to the Nepal Cup. They played against the men a couple of times and then Fiji and an All-Stars team. And against the men, I mean, they lost those games, but I don't think they've ever beaten the men. Um, but in those games, uh, Ikanasio and Falau were shooting at around 90%. So to be shooting over 90% over those long arms of the men um, it was amazing. And I think, obviously, the fact that... Um, Langman was in the team again, and Casey Korpua. Um, of, yeah, I was really happy for Falau, Korpua, Rore, 
and um, Langman. Langman. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. But for me, the one I was really, really thrilled for was Casey Corpua because it was so brave for her to come out of retirement, and the team was down and out at the point that she she said, "Yeah, I'm going to do it." Um, that was so brave for her to do that because she could have faced heartbreak yet again. I was at the 2011 World Cup when the Silver Ferns lost by one goal in extra time and Casey was holding back the tears um, at the post-match press conference. At the 2015 World Cup, Hamish, you were there. I remember Casey just was openly crying when she was... And she had come back from that, that hideous knee injury um, leading up to that 2015 World Cup and they upset Australia in the pool play and they lost by three goals. She was really upset. So of all those, the fossils, I was really thrilled for Casey Corpua because it just shows how brave she was to come back. You've got absolutely nothing to lose though, going into a tournament like that. Everyone's written you off before you even turn up. You've yeah. got a bunch of those players that have that ability you know, and have missed out and had some really heartbreaking wins before. So they've got that hunger in them too. And so you can yeah. turn up to a tournament like that. Nobody's taking you seriously. That's yeah. perfect setting really to come in and do exactly what they did. Yeah. I guess. I'd just like to see Nolene now just walk. Um, they treated her with contempt for years. They found her loose. <laughs> um, they couldn't. She wasn't one of their people. They wanted um, people who were malleable, who would conform, who wouldn't cause any trouble, didn't have any interesting or radical ideas, and she was none of those things, and so they kept her at arm's length, and she had to go to Australia. And then when things got so, so bad, and they were so pathetic, so dreadful, they had to put their tail between their legs and go and say to her, Nolan, we need you, your country has to have you. Yeah. And if so I were here, I'd walk. You to I'd leave say, out of spite. Yeah. No, just to <laughs> say, look, you treated Classic me with contempt. You can, you can jam it, do you know what I mean? I, I saved you. I, I sent these girls out who are old and past it, as winners, and now I'm going to walk, and you can stick it. Yeah. Well, just just to finish, what do we think is going to happen with Nolene Todua? Do we think she's going to stay? Is she going to go into some other role? And what is this win perhaps going to mean moving forward, if, if anything? Uh, well, Stephen uh, interviewed Nolene earlier this week when she selected the uh, Northern uh, the Nations Cup team and just her language was a bit more positive than it had been maybe earlier and um, yeah I get this I'm leaning towards her staying on as coach I'm you know fingers crossed um, she is cr- absolutely crucial um, and yeah I mean she obviously she owes Netball New Zealand nothing but the way she talks she's so invested in the game and she's put all that stuff it's this ancient history to her now and I'm I just think she's so invested that she won't want to walk away that's what I'm hoping anyway mm, they need to beg here because they've got nothing else behind her <laughs> coaching wise and the players they don't have adequate replacements for the so-called fossils so that, that if they don't keep her on board the whole thing will fall over really quickly High Performance mm. Sport New Zealand gave Netball an extra $380,000 a year true. this week and they said $300,000 of that is for coaching Oh really? Yeah whether Nolene yeah. gets all of that yeah. I'm not entirely sure <laughs> so so She probably deserves it probably yeah. claim it <laughs> Yeah well, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, and bef- just before we move on from the netball, um, probably be amiss not to mention um, Central Pulse winning their first title as well. It's a n- notable feature of this year finally getting over the line. And moving on now to uh, to cricket, it may not have ended with a desired result for Kiwi fans, but the Cricket World Cup was equally compelling over there in England. Against most expectations, the Black Caps made it all the way to the final, only to miss out on the trophy, of course, in bizarre and pretty gut-wrenching fashion. Guttall's going to push for two. They've got to go. It's got to throw. It's got to go to the keeper's end. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. By the barest of all margins. Absolute ecstasy for England. Agony. Agony for New Zealand. 
Well, it was definitely a finish no one predicted. Hamish, what did you and what do you now make of that final looking back on it? Um, I thought they conducted themselves really well afterwards. I thought they got hosed during the match, but that's by the by. They had lots of chances to win it in the, the regulation 50 overs and they didn't take them. Um, they were lucky to get that far. They were a genuine one-man band. Um, Williamson got some runs and no one else really fired a shot. Um, Taylor had one innings of substance, but the rest of them were dreadful. Um, Munro was unlucky to be dropped. Guptill was extremely lucky to stay in the team, and we were treated to Instagram posts that, country, that the leading websites in the country led to news sections with saying from his wife saying he's fantastic and she loves him and she knows he's going to turn it around. I mean, that was just it was dreadful. Um, and they got lucky to the pitches slow down, so guys like De Grandhomme um, became effective. Bolt was outstanding throughout, but there were a lot of passengers on that team, and as I say, they were lucky to get that far. And, and I think on reflection, they'll think that they got hosed, but they, they did pretty well to, to get as far as they did. You had a situation where the big boys probably didn't fire as well as they were supposed to, and we were also favoured a couple of times with the beautiful English weather because it was the it was the raining off of that Pakistan um, semi final, and then there was also the reset that happened in the India and New Zealand match where you know India was starting to look like they were getting a roll on, and then all of a sudden the clouds rolled in and, and probably saved uh, our World Cup um, you know campaign at that point. Um, what a ridiculous final match, though. Frantic Google searches to figure out actually what the rules are. <laughs> um, because I had no idea, and I think a lot of people learnt um, on the fly by watching that match, um, just how ridiculous sometimes that game can be. I think that it was a, a good team performance by the Black Caps through the tournament and Kane Williamson's leadership. As mm. far as the final was concerned, I was working that morning, and it was just fantastic of, as a sporting event. Mm. The fact that they lost, you know, that happens. One team wins, one team loses. But as the overs were going on, everyone was up. And then, you know, there was the catch when uh, Bolt stood on the line yeah. and that would have been a whole, the game could have been decided there. Yeah. And then something else happened the next over. And it just, it just I thought the whole thing was just fantastic. Yeah, disappointing that the Black, yeah. Black Caps didn't win. But as a sporting yeah. it event, was it was insane, just beautiful. It was an insane game. It was outrageous. <laughs> and it brought so many other people yeah. who aren't cricketers, cricket yeah. people to the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously gutted that they didn't win, but they'll forever be go down in history as being part of that um, insane, outrageous game. Hamish touched on a, a lot said about the way the team carried themselves, not only after the final, but during the tournament in general. Do we put a lot of stock on that, or we all just sort of gutted the, the team lost? I mean, is that an important part of what the Black Caps did at that tournament? It was for me, yeah, because I just think that there are a lot of jerks in cricket. Um, there's a lot of boorish behaviour. Um, Australia have spent a long time trying to work out how they want to behave and there was this thing about the line that they had and they, you crossed it or you didn't cross it and all that kind of stuff and Australia have got their swagger back as we've seen um, in the test match over there last week against New Zealand but New Zealand conduct themselves really well, they play it in the right spirit, they're hard but they're fair, I think they exemplify a lot of the traits that we'd like to think New Zealanders demonstrate or mm-hmm. have inside them and I don't think the All Blacks live up to that a lot, they, they talk about it but I think the Black Caps actually live it I think Brendan McCallum deserves great credit for that and um, Kane Williamson's taken that on. Guys who were jerks like Tim Southey have pulled their heads in and they behave like normal people now. And I, I think genuinely that that's creditable. And I think you don't want to just be some nice guy team and have the nice guy award, you know, you want to actually win. But I think they combine excellence and high performance with being decent people and that's, that's quite a rare combination. Mm.
Mm. You know, it's not a match we're going to forget or a tournament we're going to forget for a long time, I would suggest. Um, moving on now, it seems quite odd that All Blacks come third in a wrap of the sporting year, but in a lot of ways it sort of feels like that's where their performance at the Rugby World Cup sits. They, of course, finished third with a win over Wales in that last match, but no doubt it's going to be a tournament remembered for that comprehensive semi-final loss to England. Fast pace and fantastic, and it's England who come away as winners. Eddie Jones has done it again. He has masterminded a huge World Cup upset. Well, it probably wasn't the biggest upset ever given the strength of that English side, but Joe, you were there in Yokohama for the match. What will be your lasting memories of that semi-final? Just the All Blacks being completely outplayed, having no plan B, not being able to do anything against this English rush defence on attack, running out of ideas, kicking the ball away when they shouldn't, just looking, yeah, a bit bereft of any kind of way to deal with the aggressive English pack and the way they played. Um, Even defensively, I don't think they were that good. The forward pack completely outplayed, loose forwards outplayed, set piece outplayed despite bringing in Scott Barrett. Was that a selection mistake? Probably was now looking back on it. Um, Yeah, and just really a a very strong performance from a committed English side who had prepared for that game for a long time and who who it turned out that was their final but certainly an all-backs team that just looked out of ideas, unfortunately, when confronted with a team that was not giving them any front football. So um, the more and more I think about it, the more disappointed I am in the all-backs in that performance compared to, say, the strength of the English. But it was it was a really, you know, a very clinical and remarkable and committed performance from the English, especially on defence. So they should have won by more, and it was really just the all-backs got pasted. That's my lasting memory. See you later. Was it just execution? How much of it was perhaps a little bit of complacency, especially after that big win against Ireland? And we heard um, Steve Hansen in the press conference um, getting a, a little bit angry about one question about a lack of hunger. Do you think there was anything, uh, any element of that there in that semi-final? Quite possibly. I'm not an elite athlete, so I don't know what it's like to come down from the hive, winning a, a World Cup quarterfinal and then trying to get back up for a semi. I imagine that's what you do week in, week out, so it shouldn't be too hard. Perhaps there is, like subconsciously in the back of your head, you've had such a convincing performance against a team that people were worried about. The Irish defence very much vaunted and the All Blacks looking so good and then against an English team um, who, you know, people are wary of but you're supposed to beat. They've had no World Cup semi-final experience. There's sort of three or four guys in your team that have won two World Cups, et cetera, et cetera. You've been playing some pretty decent rugby on the surface. Um, yeah, you have to say the attitude was a little bit missing. The way the All Blacks got punished by the, uh, the the English forwards that that game, you think perhaps they just got a little bit caught in the complacency zone. But they also didn't have a plan B. They also didn't have another option to to find a way back into that match. And really, the English didn't let them play. So it was just it was very disappointing. Hamish, Alice, what could have perhaps been done differently, or what would you guys have done differently, either before or during the tournament? I think if you look back at the original selection, I remember when the team list came out, I wasn't actually overly enthused or excited about many names that I saw on that list. It seemed to me that we had quite a few boys that were probably one World Cup past it, and then we had quite a few young ones that were maybe one World Cup too soon. So you didn't quite have the right rhythm within that team to really be coming together and smashing it. And when we did do it well, it was very paint-by-numbers in terms of how the All Blacks play now, but there wasn't the excitement of a Bowdoin Barrett that there was in 2015, you know, where someone's starting to really find their rhythm and come on and explode or you know, you've got Carter that's got his farewell again in 2015, finally getting to play that final that he'd worked so hard for. It just didn't ever seem, there wasn't the same kind of 
heart that was wanted uh, in terms of that. And so when people talked about hunger, and I think that was a worthwhile question because it seemed to me that mm. it just wasn't the same hunger for it. And when you look at someone like England, they've been a long time between drinks. These type of things do play into it. We really want this and they need it as well for, for the the, uh, the fans back home, which I just don't think you could necessarily save for New Zealand anymore. We got a bit too used to winning, I think. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big hunger ascriber. I don't think that existed. I just think that um, they got found out, as they always get found out in games of consequence, because Ian Foster doesn't know what he's doing. And so, I was thrilled, genuinely, when England won. A because they were fantastically good and they deserved to win, and they should have won by twenty or thirty. Let's mm. be honest about it. New Zealand got a fluke Lakes. try. England had a couple disallowed. Yeah, they were exactly. excellent. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah. thrilled that it was won well and won without any controversy. There's no Wayne Barnes type situation, and I was thrilled on the other hand. Because I knew, it, well, hoped, I was certain actually, that it was the end of the Foster succession thing. Like, they've been found out, shown up, surely to goodness, this guy who they're trying to coronate, he's not going to get the job because they've been shown up again. There's no way they can go to him. And what do you know? They've come back here, they've uh, thoroughly examined the talent pool that exists, and gone through rigorous, you know, selection process, and they've come up with Ian Foster. Well, holy moly. So, yeah, I was. That was my abiding thing of walking away being happy because it had been a good game and Foster was done and he's not. And wouldn't you be thrilled for Rennie? Like if he, you know, Absolutely. another one of these guys marginalised, having to go overseas because he's not, he doesn't spend his days and nights praising Steve Hansen <laughs> and so he has to go. He's not welcome here. He's gone somewhere else. You know, oh, they've approached me. Well, guess what, fellas? I'm going somewhere else and I'm going to look forward to playing you. And uh, I really hope he goes well. Joe, just before we finish up and move on, interested to get your thoughts on the, the Foster appointment but also... I guess the team that he's brought on, similar sentiments from you, would you have preferred to see change? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was like one of the silver linings of, of England being so dominant in that semi-final, where, of course, Ian Foster being the attack coach, absolutely nothing on offer to see around that English defence. You thought that it was him done and dusted. I mean, you look at the way South Africa played. You wonder if they were messing with us that first game. All they had to do was just man up and slightly... You know, be more confrontational than England were in that final when they won by doing exactly the same thing. It was just like, oh, really? Is that all you had to do to beat England? Mm. Only two years as well, which is telling, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, time will yeah. tell if he gets gets uh, another extension end, on that. Yeah. <laughs> two years is the end to succession planning, and that John Plumtree's made the wrong call by putting his hat in Ian Foster's camp, mm-hmm. thinking that that's the the best route to the All Blacks' top job. Hopefully, that ends. Mm. But anyway, we'll see. Just to touch on before we, we shift focus, um, mentioned the New Zealand Sevens women, another World Series title this year. They just keep on keeping on. Crusaders, a 10th Super Rugby title. And I'm not going to leave without mentioning Tasman winning their first NPC Premiership yeah. crown and Canterbury, a third straight Farah Palmer title as well. So a great season for them. New Zealand's best also did battle on the world stage in several of our prominent Olympic sports ahead of next year's Tokyo Games. Now, Barry, you've been following these throughout the year. What have been the standout moments for you? Well, it has been really, I think, the build-up to the Olympics and, and what they've produced. If we, we started, well, just look at the sports that we're perhaps going to win medals in. Uh, athletics, uh, Tom Walsh is up the top of the world once again. It took the third-best uh, shot of all time by Joe Kovacs to actually beat him at the World Championships, and he retained his Diamond League title, so he'll be a contender for another medal uh, next year in Tokyo. I do wonder about Eliza McCartney, whether she will actually come back, the pole vaulter from various injuries, and you know, will she compete at the top level again? Also, Nick Willis, too, 36. Uh, he had his first Olympics in 2004. I think possibly the time has come where he might may not make the Olympics uh, uh, anymore. And Val Adams, who's now had her, Dame Val Adams, has had her second child, 35-year-old, 
Her first Olympics was in 2004, since then she won gold, gold and silver. So she'll she'll be there and she'll probably be a contender whether she wins gold or not. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, the usual places for medals, Peter Burling, Blair Chook, they've come back from America's Cup and they're top of uh, 49ers again. Lisa Carrington continues to win world championships in the uh, uh, kayaking, so they're all medal contenders as well. And rowing, uh, four women's crews won gold medals at the world championships this year and they'll again be leading the way in the rowing, although rowing does have a bit of a hang-up when it comes to the Olympics sometimes. It'll be interesting to see how well they perform in Tokyo. Uh, and cycling on the track, uh, they're always contenders for medals. The team means team sprint. Uh, they're getting a lot of depth in some of the endurance events. Also, Patrick Bevan uh, is uh, the world champion. Uh, no, Patrick Bevan was on the road, of course. Uh, Campbell Stewart was the Omnium world champion this year, so he'll be contender also. So I think we're going to be at Tokyo next year. After what I've seen this year, we're going to be looking in the uh, same sports uh, to win medals in Tokyo. And a couple of significant deaths of Kiwi sports people to touch on uh, as well, of course, with likes of Peter Snell and Sir Brian Lahore as well. Uh, others may want to comment also, but uh, Peter Snell, yeah, the athlete of the century, died uh, early December, aged 80. Uh, I spoke to him a month ago. He has had, had some heart issues uh, for a while, but he was uh, remaining very chipper. He was meant to go to a Legends of the Mile gathering in Monaco and didn't actually make it there. Uh, he made a difference to uh, athletics, uh, sport in New Zealand, uh, the day that he and Halberg both won gold medals. Um, of course, after that, we had the likes of uh, Walker, Dixon, Quacks and others that uh, followed from there. So it was a golden era for athletics in New Zealand. He'll be sadly missed. And Brian Lahore, uh, he passed away this year. Uh, he coached the 87 um, uh, World Cup team and, of course, had a stellar career himself as an all-black. So uh, a couple of the key figures that uh, that passed away this year and uh, their contribution to sport will be sadly missed. Mm. The cool thing about Peter Snow was as recently as 2017, Auckland held the World Masters Games and him and his wife were playing doubles table tennis two yeah, years right. ago. So it's, you know, obviously sport continued to play a big part in his life. Well, thanks for all that rap. I guess we've gone through a, a lot, but before I let you all go, I want you all to take perhaps half a minute and pick another sports story or moment that's really got your attention because it's not just the main sports, of course, that we focus on or that get our attention. Um, Joe, I'll come to you first. Is there any other story that you'll remember from 2019? 2019, no, not really. I mean, you've got a little bit going on around in the football area. With Sapreet Singh making his debut for Bayern Munich, that was pretty exciting for, for football fans back home. Of course, you don't get many Kiwis doing stuff on that sort of high level and at that high stage. And for all accounts, he's been making a good fist of it. So I think that was quite impressive for me. And, and Scott McLaughlin, again, continuing his dominance in the supercars to uh, Kiwi athletes, youngish Kiwi athletes, that making an impression on the world stage. You guys down there, any any highlight, other highlights you, yeah, you picked well, out? We had obviously the other cup that went on this year, which was the Women's Football World Cup. Megan Rapino and the US Women's Football mm, Team, amazing team. Obviously, I think there is no greater anti-Falau Israel that is than <laughs> Megan Rapinoe. Um The leadership that they've shown off the field, um, particularly in terms of this 
pay equity um, argument and just actually the interesting things that they've wrapped in that it's not just about the money, it's about the playing services, the training facilities, the travel arrangement, the promotion, promotional dollars that they're arguing needs to be put into the sport and uh, the support staff to be wrapped around the team. It's a really interesting um, developing story. They've just had the judge that said that, yes, you do have a case and it will be uh, being heard early next year and I think there's going to be a lot of different codes that we'll be keeping eyes on how that develops. Uh, Ellis, also you might want to, to mention that the media often gets criticised for the coverage of women's sport, but I've actually mm. thought this year, I mean, the women have done women have done particularly well across you know a lot of sports this year and got some great coverage. I, that's possibly one of the things for me this year is uh, you know the as you mentioned the women's. Football World Cup, this, you know, we've had the sevens and all sorts of things. Abs- what was, what's your thought? You know, can we know, you know, that, that we're not biased? <laughs> no, anyway? absolutely. Look, I um, was tweeting about this the other day because I was walking down Featherston Street, had a look in um, one of the pubs where a rugby game was being played on the screen, and I couldn't tell you which women's game it was. And I just took a second to just pinch myself and realise how amazing that was. I still remember the first time I saw a game of women's rugby on TV. It was the Black Ferns playing the World 15 in October in 2003. I had just started playing rugby the um, year before. I thought, awesome, these are some women I don't know that I can look up to. Um, but I didn't realise how long it was going to be until I would get to see women playing on TV again. And so to get to see so many games, it was not just the um, FPC, which had fantastic coverage. I think I was on TV five times. Uh, <laughs> we'll plug for myself. Um, so we had the, the FPC, we had the Oceania series, we had the Sevens, obviously. Um, I had a privilege of getting involved with the Central Zones, but we've also had um, National Sevens that's gone there too. So, so much that's just in the um, the overboard code. We're talking also netball, of course, football, everything else. Cricket, yep. cricket, yep. it's awesome. Yeah, for me, um, the t- the most interesting story for me has been actually Maria Folau in mm. terms of her as a player. Um, I think over the past eighteen months, she's well and truly cemented herself as a true legend of the game. Mm. I'm really glad she stayed on for the World Cup, and I'm really glad. I personally think. Her shutting her mouth mm-hmm. and not saying was the best thing for the team because if she had said something, uh, that would have put herself and Netball New Zealand in a really difficult position. There are sometimes where it's better to say nothing and that was it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad she did that and she played an amazing role in the Netball Cup and her mental strength to be able to block out Absolutely. all that stuff that was happening. Um, performance over the past 18 months, carrying that shooting in for five years after the retirement of Irene van Dijk. Finally this year, Amelia Rand Ignacio emerged and it all came together perfectly for the World Cup. Yeah, I just, um, the thing I remember from this year is I think the, the standards of sports coverage, um, not just in New Zealand but around the world, just continue to plummet. I just, I'm horrified and embarrassed a lot of the time to be part of the industry. I just think it's absolutely dreadful. Um, industry's been my life. My folks were journalists. I go back five generations of journalists on my mum's side. We really care about this industry and I just think it's going down the tubes and it really makes me sad. Well, let's hope we can see that maybe turn in the other direction next year. Well, thanks for your time, everyone, and thanks to everyone out there who's tuned in throughout the year. We look forward to another memorable year of sport in 2020. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.